0: Would you join me with me in prayer and then then we're going to have a chat with Lawrence Nathan. It feels a bit like this is your life, doesn't it? Um, So Father, we thank you for the gift that Laurie is to this church. We thank you for his wisdom. We thank you for his life story that some of us know parts of, some of us know more of than others. But we just thank you for what what will be shared of it this morning. And so I pray, Father, that... That, yeah, though this morning's not a sermon, though we're not unpacking a passage of Scripture specifically this morning, we're unpacking a person's life and your story through it. I pray that our hearts, our minds, our spirits would be uh, as open or more so to hear from you through this story, um, to hear your guidance and your encouragement and your blessing through this story as we are through a, a regular sermon. In Jesus' almighty name, amen. Um, so we've said, Laurie, you're 88 years old, um, and you told me,
1: 88
0: years young. 88 <laughs> years young. Yep. Well, that's that's part of your 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 story that we'll get to uh, later on. But um, and so I just uh, just briefly to paint a picture of 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 where you grew up and your family background, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your childhood and your family, your early years?
1: Hmm. I uh, grew up in the suburb of Pimble in Sydney, on the North Shore. And uh, things were so different in those days. The usual uh, size of a block was a quarter acre. And we would know, if not personally, at least the, the people a bit about them within a half a kilometre radius, you know. And uh, <clears throat> people were very friendly and uh, uh, so very different to today. But uh <clears throat> uh, one of the things is that uh, my parents were not Christian people. They were good parents and they wanted the best for me but uh, never went to church and can I say except on one occasion and that was during the Second World War which started in 1939 and Adolf Hitler, the the German man who led them, was ruthless and he uh, had invaded a number of countries in Europe and uh, just went through with very little resistance, got to Poland and uh, <coughs> then he, uh, into France and <coughs> it looked as if he was going to go to England and there would be virtually no resistance so it was thought and the king who was, present, who was our queen's present queen's father the King George VI at that time called the whole British Empire to a day of prayer that's how, de- <coughs> how desperate things were and <coughs> My parents actually went to church on that occasion, virtually the only time they did and <coughs> But what happened was more so amazing that uh, <coughs> normally the English Channel which separates uh, England from Europe, is very rough and uh, <coughs> and uh, very precarious, but for the first time it, in <coughs> in many years it was dead calm and so a lot of small boats were able to come come across from England to France, and uh, and uh, take soldiers in the British Army back to, uh, to to England. Now that was a miracle; it really was. In response to the the, the Empire Day of Prayer, and anyway. Uh, <coughs> That was one of the outstanding things where God intervened and responded in, as a result of earnest prayer by, the, by the, not just the nation but the whole British Empire. So that's one thing that stands out in my mind.
0: And, and so you, apart from perhaps one of the worst days, uh, worst challenging moments in history, um, your parents weren't, uh, weren't uh, people of faith, the old saying there's no atheist in foxholes. Yes. Um, there's some truth of that to, to, to your parents. Um, but you grew up in a home that wasn't uh, Christian. Um, so how did you come to faith, and, and when did that happen in okay. your life?
1: Okay, I had two older sisters. The first one was three years older than me. The next one, six years older. And uh, they had a friend uh, who was a Christian, and she invited them to the Young People's Fellowship in uh, uh, the church in Pimbleson, Swithin's Anglican Church there, and uh, the fellowship was quite, the young people's fellowship was quite a vital one. And uh, <coughs> anyway, the, my second uh, sister, the one who is closest to me, uh, she went along when she turned 14. That was the limit or the youngest limit that you could go. And she actually was converted. She responded. And, uh, <coughs> and uh, when I turned 14, in, she in turn invited me to come. Oh, thank you. Thank very much. She in turn invited me to come. And so I went along. And it wasn't long after that that uh, some young people f- from the church uh, went up to the Katoomba Convention. Some of you may know of that. It's a well-established thing. Uh, in, a <coughs> in those days, there were no buildings on the site, but they did own land. And there was a marquee. <coughs> And there was an evangelist speaker there. I don't remember much about what he said, but he did make an appeal at the end. And I just felt God saying, go forward and respond. I didn't want to. I wanted to run my own life. And I realized that that if I did go forward, it would be saying, God, I'm handing over the reins of my life to you. Like a guy driving down the highway, and there's a hitchhiker, and he pulls you up and and instead of coming to the passenger's door, he comes to the driver's door and said, would you mind hopping out? Let me drive. And that's how it was. I was feeling with, that God wanted me to give over the reins of my life to him. And I struggled with that. I really did. But eventually, thank God that I responded and said, OK, I went forward and, uh, and accepted Christ as my Savior and my, my Lord. Because I realized that if there was an accident driving back from Katoomba to Sydney, I wasn't ready to die, to face God. I realised that. So that's where, that, where it started. And can I say that there wasn't much of a change in my life at that stage, but as I learned more about God and his ways, then gradually there was a change and a growth in my life, but it took time, but there was a distinct change from that time on.
0: And, and so that moment of, of, of conversion, so to speak, or... or, or um Deciding to have faith in Jesus, um, whatever language we put around that. That was a moment of, of, of seeing the truth of it and your need for a saviour. But it's all, it wasn't a, 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 I guess, a
1: jubilant moment in some sense at that time. No, it was, that, there was a,
0: a, a resistance to absolutely. it. Absolutely. Despite
1: knowing the truth there. I didn't like surrendering. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I did, of course, and that's altered the whole course of my life. There have been many failures since, since, since then, of course, but that was the turning point. I'm glad for that.
0: And so there's a real, in, in your salvation <coughs> moment and story, there's a real sense of, of surrender, of, of having to make a, a choice to give over to Jesus.
1: The, th- the thought that was in my mind is that he is king. That means he is boss. And I didn't like that, first of all. But now I realize, of course, that's the best thing for me, that he's so loving and caring and, and powerful and wonderful in, in every way.
0: So, so that was at the age of 15. So we're talking to you um, 70 years past uh, that moment. And so the next question I was going to ask you, which you may have just answered, is is what did Jesus mean to you as a 15-year-old over 70 years ago?
1: Not very much, I have to say. And, um, uh, and uh, because I, I did go to Sunday school occasionally, and I'd just come to the youth fellowship because at 14 I was able to. And um, so I had a bit of teaching there, but really uh, I didn't know much about him. But I, some of the Bible stories uh, 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 meant a lot to me, of course, the uh, uh, David and Goliath, those sorts of things. And uh, but uh, so th- there wasn't much of a background, let's put it that way.
0: And, and so that was a decision made from this awareness and, and we would say and i'm sure you would say today the holy spirit impressing upon you Absolutely. this awareness that you needed to choose to follow jesus and make him the boss or the king of your life yep. but you weren't a great theo- theologian at that stage it wasn't a, i'm still not <laughs> it wasn't a um well you do pretty well that's <laughs> but it wasn't a um wasn't out of a wealth of knowledge about jesus and and, sure. and, and so that's i think that's encouraging for us um, for some of us that may be wrestling with that thought of of um oh but i'm not sure entirely who jesus is that <laughs> that that life-changing decision for you that that as we go on through your stories changed your life but it wasn't made on was made in faith not a wealth of knowledge correct know?
1: correct yes uh,
0: so how did your, your your family weren't christian how did they respond to that choice in your life
1: have you heard of explosions <laughs> my father was was angry very angry and said what a fool i was and uh, uh, he, um, he he said, look, you'll never be any good, you know. He had ambitions for me, and uh, but he, he, he just uh, belittled me and was angry. And uh, But I guess, in a sense, that's a good thing because I had to struggle. Is God going to help me at this time? Do I still hold on to my faith in spite of this? And we get stronger through struggles. As much as we hate these these, these disappointments and the the bad times, but they make us stronger, really. And uh, looking back, I can be thankful for that.
0: And and so at the time, like looking back, you're thankful for that struggle. At the time, um, uh, the man who was your father and who you looked up to as a role model belittled you for this decision. (laughs) Um, And so what were some things that, I guess, helped sustain your faith in the midst of that opposition to it at such a i guess a embryonic stage in your faith and understanding of who jesus is what what things did you do or what did god do for you
1: in that season to sustain your faith i had to think of the faithfulness of god that uh, that in spite of my father and his attitude and my mother really was similar in, in that regard uh that god was faithful and again i come back to stories like uh, um david and goliath that god was uh, was working in me he's working in our lives and he's real and that therefore he would sustain me and keep me uh, overall and uh, so I, c- I came back to the word of god the, the truth of the scriptures and just uh, laid hold of those and that helped me to to come through Lip by lip. <coughs> and so ultimately it's the faithfulness of God that,
0: mm. you know, but by the grace of God well, sits, <laughs> not stands, Laurie, uh, in his faith today. Um, and so moving on from that time in general, not just in that opposition of faith, what, what were some key factors in your uh, growth in faith as a young man, um, you know, not from a church or Christian background? What were some key factors, I guess, as you entered into adulthood and um, grew in, in life and faith? What were some key factors mm. in that growth?
1: I remember one instance where uh, a Christian missionary came to our school and in those days they were uh, uh, allotted certain times and uh, he told a story that really impressed me and that is that um, uh, there was a missionary in China uh, in an inland part where uh, just a small village and there was a... A famine there because of the lack of rain, and people were, start, were getting to the point of starvation. And the missionary there was, had done all he could to help, but he had run out of supplies of food and things. And he called the church together and he said, "Look, let's pray that God will send food—food <coughs> food from heaven—in a sense—to us. Because uh, uh, unless He does that, we, we just can't survive." And the people would, in the congregation said, don't be silly to expect food from heaven like that. Well, he said God sent manna from heaven and sustained the nation the people of Israel at that time. So why can't he do that? Anyway, so they, they agreed to gather uh, at the end of the afternoon each day and they were just working in the local village, these people. Uh, they would come together at, five, at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever it was, and pray that God would send grain to them and after about the third sorry after about the third day someone came in while they were praying and said look there are huge dark clouds very threatening in the sky and they went out and sure enough there were these dark clouds coming towards them (laughs) sorry it's so wonderful and uh, as it went over Literally grain fell, fell from heaven onto the ground. <coughs> and so much so that they were able to shovel it up and gather it. And they found that by boiling it, there was a, a very nutritious, tasty seed inside which they could boil and, and eat that. And that sustained them for some, t- some long time until uh, till the, their own crops grew and were, were able to be ha- harvested. Now that made a huge impression on my mind now, that's stage or st- step one. Let me tell you step two of this story. Um, <clears throat> sometime later, that missionary was in, I think, it was Canada uh, doing some deputation work probably. And he told a story to the audience there in, uh, where the, that had gathered in the church. And afterwards, one of the men there said, came up to him and said, look, what date did this happen? So the missionary was very clear in his mind it was such an amazing event that he was able to tell him. And he said, look, I believe I can tell you the sequel to that story. (coughs) And that is that at that time there were silos in China full of grain waiting to be shipped to different places and a a hurricane or tornado came along and just sucked up the grain (coughs) into the sky and carried it literally hundreds... Of, in fact, I worked out once, it was roughly the distance from, uh, from uh, Cairns to Sydney. Carried this over the land to where these people were praying and just fell down at, uh, at the ground there to sustain them in answer to prayer. That's st- stage two. Let me tell you stage three. <clears throat> Sometime later... Now, I would be, (coughs) I was leader of the Young People's Fellowship in Sydney at that time. I'd be in my 20s anyway, I guess. And uh, I was asked to take part in a um, a seminar on prayer. And uh, I thought, now, what can I say to start with? Some situation, some story that's true that I can relate to these people to show them that God is real and really cares for us, and is able to do wonderful things. And I thought of this incident, but I thought, look, that was years ago when I was still at school. I I don't know who the missionary was, much about him at all. And uh, I thought, now, if only I could find someone who could verify the facts for me before I go public about it. And I thought and prayed, and then I realised that... uh, we used to pick up uh, every Sunday to take to, to our church A, an elderly couple whom I knew lived in Hong Kong and before that they were missionaries in, in China. And I thought, now, they may know something about this. May, they may have heard about it. So next Sunday as we picked them up and were going to church, I told them what little I could about this story. I said, do you know anything about this at all? Have you heard anything about it? You know what he said to me? This, <coughs> this missionary was my father. So <laughs> he, was <coughs> sorry. he was able to verify the facts. In fact, he gave me a printed sheet, which I've still got, about the whole story. So <laughs> I was able to go public then, very confident that this story was true. It really was, and wonderful. So that, that's an outstanding thing that encouraged me in my life.
0: Mm, and so... Uh, it, as we kind of walk, walk through your early christian faith and story it's it 's quite clear that god 's faithfulness and testimony of that and the power of god's been had a huge impact on on the building of your the faith reality of god. Yeah, yeah, the it, reality that he's of God
1: relevant to life, not mm. not just an airy fairy thing up in the sky, yeah, but very real in our lives and wants to be part of our lives mm.
0: yeah mm. and it reminds me of. Not for such providential purposes, but if everyone's going, oh, could that possibly happen? And it reminds me of those stories where, you know, fish are sucked up in yeah. the ocean in a tornado and dumped hundreds of miles yeah, inland. There you are. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it doesn't need to be possible for God to have done it, but, but yep. um, yeah, certainly possible. Uh, and so as you, 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 that was in your mid 20s that you kind of that story has mm-hmm. journeyed through your life and that's impacted you. Yep. Even, even some 60 plus years later, that still brings emotion. Um, to you They're about the, the realness of God and his They're care matched. for his people um, and so in your late 20s you, you met and married uh, a young woman um, named Helen and so uh, as we were chatting the other day you said that, that that wasn't just a thing that happened that happens in people's life that was really of God as well so tell us a little bit about the story
1: of meeting and marrying uh, your wife you've already already made reference to scripture union in your earlier things this, this, this morning this now, I um, had moved to Adelaide at this time and I was uh, invited by my, my, my boss to, uh, first of all, go to Brisbane, look after a department there and then and then uh, I had a letter from a friend in, who I knew in Sydney. He'd moved to Adelaide and, st- and started a business there and wanted me to join him. So we were in Adelaide and... Um, uh, I was on the script union committee at that stage and we used to meet in the evening, once a month, whatever it was. And one evening we agreed that we would start an early morning prayer meeting before work for those who could come, uh, presumably 8 o'clock or something like that. And uh, uh, so I went along to that and when I arrived there were a few people that I knew and some that I didn't. But when we prayed... I heard a lady pray, whom I didn't know, but the way she prayed, I thought, this, business, this girl really means business with God. She's for real in her faith. Later on, I was introduced to her. Later on, we started, I started inviting her out a bit. And uh, the interesting thing is that in those days, the missionary societies that there were, of course, in those days, when they had a, a visiting missionary... They would very often make it a public meeting open to any who would like to come. And so we went to some of those together <coughs> for Saturday night. And one Saturday night, I came home and I thought, now, I've got to make a decision fairly soon. Because, like steel and a magnet, the closer they get together, the stronger the attraction. And for me, the attraction towards this woman was very, very strong indeed. And uh, so I came home one Saturday night, having been out with her, and I got down on my knees and said, Lord, somehow would you show me she's the right one for me? I don't know how you'll do it, but Lord, I, I ask that you will somehow make it clear whether or not. And then, of course, the other point came, if somehow God showed me she wasn't the right one, would I be prepared to break off, break off the relationship? Because... I was head over heels in love and <laughs> I didn't want to break off the relationship but eventually I got to the point where I said, okay, God, if somehow you show me she's not the right one, I'm prepared to say no and break it off the friendship. Anyway, I got up and uh, looked around at, at my, de- my room, my desk in particular and I'm, here I am praying to a God of order when my affairs are in disorder, untidy, in my desk, the piles of papers. Anyway, I picked up the top paper, uh, the top letter of a, a pile of papers, uh, and uh, I just glanced at it. But immediately I saw a phrase. It was a prayer letter from a missionary organisation, and it said, quoted Psalm 34, I think it is, a verse there: "Delight yourself in the Lord." and he will give you the the desires of your heart. What was the desire of my heart? (laughs) Obvious. And that was encouraging. I thought, well, God is showing me through through his word that she's the right one for me. Now, that was the start. That was Saturday night. We were going to different churches. Already we'd arranged to meet after. I would pick her up after her service finished, and we'd spend the afternoon together. So when I did that, I thought, now I've got to try and find out how she's feeling about our relationship. I knew how I was feeling, but I had no idea how she was thinking. So I tried to sound her out, and she said, no, will you tell me how you feel? (laughs) Which was the right thing for her to do, of course. So I, uh, I told her what had happened the previous night and how God had given me this very clear verse, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what she said to me? God has given me the exactly that same verse, but in a totally different way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when she told, <laughs> when she told me that, I thought, now I know that God has given me this verse. She knows now that God has given her that verse. So I said, will you marry me? <laughs> and she just about collapsed there but with shock. But uh, she did agree. She said, well, you've got to give me time, 12 months or something like that, to get ready, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so we agreed to get engaged. And do you know that we had a very satisfying and fulfilling marriage? It lasted 54 years. Sadly, the last couple of years or so, she had, as well as Parkinson's disease, she had dementia, and there was no real communication for quite a while. But uh, up to that time, we'd had a wonderful... We just enjoyed being in each other's company. And at times when we'd drive, from, for example, from, uh, from Adelaide to Sydney at Christmas time, as we often did to see the family here, uh, we'd just enjoy that time together and we're in the car and we'd perhaps play some Christian tapes and things like that. But uh, God so, was so good in, in just guiding us very clearly to, to this marriage and relationship. So, yes. so if there's
0: anyone, uh, single people, your, your advice <laughs> to someone would be trusting God. Absolutely. Um, go to lots of prayer meetings. Um, <laughs> That's right. To listen to, to uh, <laughs> and, men or women of the opposite and, 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 sex and pray.
1: let your room be untidy. Let, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but but that the, the testimony of that is you did entrust to God, and um, though you weren't an old man, when you were married, 28 is not as... As, as early as some get married, and, and, and so you may have had thoughts around, oh, God, where's, where's well, my bride? I did bride? think,
1: is he going to answer me, you know? And, yeah, and so, on. And,
0: and so your testimony, though, in trusting God in that space in your life is, is a long, um, fulfilling marriage. Absolutely. Um, and so tell, how many children do you have, Laurie? Uh, Leslie. <laughs> no, five. <laughs> five. Leslie's number two, of course. So Leslie, who's part of our church family, is one of your children. And I just want to capture for a moment, you're, Laurie's a first-generation Christian in that he came not from a Christian home and made his own decision for faith uh, out of that. Um, but of your five children, how many of those are uh, believers?
1: Very clearly four are. Uh, the third one, uh, he... Um, was a an engineer he studied at the adelaide uni and uh, when he was there all the leading academics uh, said to him look all this stuff is a lot of rubbish you know uh, as a as an engineer you've got to put all this rubbish aside and uh, we we don't believe in god and uh, and anyway he took their advice and he didn't follow but um over the years, he has softened. In fact, uh, Leslie will confirm this. That uh, just uh, o- over the New Year, Christmas New Year period, all our, oh, a lot of our family were at one of my son's properties, or we has got a holiday home in Phillip Island, out of Melbourne. And 19 of the family were there, including himself, including this son, Graham, and his wife and son. And they were very helpful and friendly, and they, they're definitely softening, I believe, in, in that regard.
0: And, and so I know you've got many uh, chi- uh, grandchildren and, and <laughs> great-grandchildren yep. over here in the corner. Um, and so many of those are, are people of their own faith in Jesus as well. And, and so what I want to capture for that for all of us, I know there's some of us here who, who are, we don't come from Christian families, we don't come from believing families, uh, and we're the kind of the first generation in our family. That's <coughs> not me. I'm just speaking the royal we. the The first generation in my family is true of my mother and father to a large degree. Um, but that decision that Laurie made over 70 years ago has has not just shifted his own life and journey and his own eternity, but but has shifted the the story of his family um, nice. throughout generations. And so, I just want to encourage those of us that are here that are. The first in our family line, or perhaps the first for a long time to, to say hey, i 'm going to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you not just to think about that as your own shift, but that that, that decision, each, each of your descendants and family and relatives need to make their own choice, of course, but, but your choice has the power to shift generations and generations and generations and so uh, it is a struggle, as Laurie' shared in his early life it 's a struggle to be in that place and I'm grateful for my Christian family that brought me up, um, but your decision can shift generations to come. Um, and so you were living in Adelaide, your, your family, you had your family in Adelaide, and and, and your children there. And and um, relatively recently, you shifted to Yas. Um, and so uh, you've already mentioned uh, Helen's health, but um, can you speak a bit more about that shift to Yas from Adelaide?
1: Mm. Can I back, <coughs> go back a step further, perhaps? While we were in Adelaide, uh, when we finally were able to buy our own home, uh, it was at a suburb called Happy Valley, which is in the southern part of Adelaide. And in those days, uh, Adelaide, or well, the southern suburbs, were just starting to open up uh, when General Motors was established in the northern suburbs, out to the northern suburbs to develop. But most of the block the land was just small farms in the, in the happy valley area and uh, I remember i uh, there was the the church that we used to, that we went to at that time was at a suburb called St Mary's, which is probably ten fifteen minutes drive and uh, from and i thought now this is a, a, a friend of mine who a christian guy who was living in, uh, in close by said to me "Laurie, why don't you start a church here in this area and i said arthur i don't believe i'm the right man for it but secondly i believe that god called me to the present church where i'm going to until he shows me differently i believe this is where i should stay do you know the very next morning after him said saying that uh... I was reading through my my regular passage at that time, which happened to be the fourth chapter of Luke. And Jesus had been performing some of the miracles of healing, etc. And the people were looking for him and and he was getting ready to move on. And they said to him, please stay on. Look, you're doing a wonderful work here. Just just, uh, don't go any further. Just stay. And he said, I must do the works that God has called me to. For therefore am I sent. I must do the work that God has called me to. And this just really impressed me. I felt that God was saying this to me. Instead of, um, uh, instead of continuing on in the old church where I'd been, that I was to get involved in a new church. So what I did is um, we invited uh, uh, some of the people we'd met who were Christians in the general area, and said, "Look, we believe God is speaking to us, and we agreed to meet of a Sunday afternoon for about an hour or so, uh, and discuss this possibility of starting a new church." And there were four fellows in that group. And uh, anyway, eventually, when we had to work through a lot of things, of course, our beliefs, our doctrines, our practices, how we would work things, and the infant baptism, or or, or full immersion, all, all these issues we had to work through. And eventually, after about 12 months, we felt that we were ready and we took that step and we met first of all in some people's homes, just a small group of us. And, uh, and we had no dreams of, of getting our own property, just with a few per- people that we were. Anyway, uh, that, that grew, uh, meeting in people's homes And the time came when we were able to buy some land. But it was because at that time interest rates were at a peak, about 18%, which is remarkably high. So we invested our money and we're getting that that return. And uh, eventually we were able to buy 10 acres of land. And then uh, we sold some later on. But the church has grown now and it became a very, very large church, quite a large church there for a while. And particularly with the young people, the young people's fellowship. And we had uh, a lot came from the general area. But things are different now, unfortunately. But, that, but God just gave us his word again about, um, about stepping out and, uh, and spoke to me as to, yes, I must preach the gospel to those of other cities, for therefore am I sent. So that was the result there. So that's another thing that stood out in my life. And so we might flash forward a,
0: a little bit. Um, the, the you know in 88 years there's lots of <laughs> lots of stories, and Just so few, yeah. encourage you to uh, to chat to to Laurie uh, when you get the chance as well, and and, and ask stories. Miss. So um, you moved to Yass uh, so that your wife uh, Helen could be cared for uh, in in the nursing home here, and. Um, you're just telling me uh, during the week that um, it 's just passed five years since helen 's passing right, yep. um, so can you touch briefly just on, on that 's not been an event that has um, ruined your faith or destroyed your faith, but um, you seem stronger in faith just can you touch briefly on, on how God sustained you through that that i guess initial season of, of helen's passing and:
1: Yes, the worst part about it was that uh, before that. Because of Alzheimer's disease, uh, she had lost her mind in a sense and uh, there was no meaningful communication between us for some long time. So when finally the home call came for her, it wasn't a shock. We'd already been separated by just her condition. And uh, <clears throat> so we um, fortunately I'd take out an, an insurance policy that meant that uh, if I wanted to, I could have her body transferred or any, either of us transferred to another place uh, without cost to us because of that policy. So we agreed to, the family agreed to um, have the main service in Adelaide where we still have many friends and that was very triumphant can I say and glorious in that sense with the part, sadness of the parting of course. But, but since coming here <coughs> I realised that my mission field is mainly in the retirement village where I live and also, of course, other friends around. So now, uh, for example, only Friday uh, I had been to visit two people who were in the retirement village but had now moved up into the nursing home uh, on the same property. The, and, uh, so there's, and they really appreciate... The visits and I've been doing that on a weekly basis normally and it's meant so much to them to be able to share and what God is doing and encourage them etc then also over Sunday afternoon I normally go to the nursing home where Leslie's still working where my wife was and there are a couple of people there that I like to try and visit and encourage and and, and be encouraged too can I say uh, so there's plenty to do in that sense and another thing is that um, Uh, quite out of the blue yesterday uh, Friday afternoon uh, I had a ring from a guy whom I'd known for some years and uh, he was he's a very successful businessman and he but he was looking for some advice on very personal matters very uh, needy matters and uh, at the end of spending half an hour or so with him on the phone he said look thank you so much that's so much to me so even at this age and stage, there are still opportunities to, to be able to encourage and help others and, uh, and, uh, and share share the good news of the gospel. So there's
0: no sense that at 88, God's finished with you and you're just in a waiting room.
1: <laughs> uh, 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 and that's when you go backwards. You know, if, you've got, if you're just existing but have no real purpose, just be entertained and look at TV and things like that, there's nothing to, really to keep you alive. No real purpose and so
0: speaking of purpose, um, I asked the question at, at fifteen. What did Jesus mean to you then? I, I want to ask you the same question now at at eighty eight over seventy years of, of faith in Jesus, what does he mean to you today
1: well in a simple, in a simple term, of course, the answer is everything but uh, and look i 'm st- still got many failures and shortcomings, so please don 't think i 'm saying i 'm great i 've arrived far from it but As Paul said towards the end of his life, this one thing I do, I press on toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what I'm trying to do because the needs are so great on every hand and plenty to be done if we take the opportunities, as long as I'm able to. So, uh, but he, um, and I've learned so much about the spiritual world. You know, God is a spirit. And the spiritual world is, is bigger than the natural world in which we live and, uh, and so real. And uh, as Jesus, as Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church, he said, look, our real battle is against, isn't against flesh and blood. not against people. It's against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. These are the real enemies that we're fighting. And they can influence people. So the real enemy is, is the spiritual world, people enforces
0: there. And so you're still growing in your faith after, to, after all these years. You're still seeking to grow and learn and discover more about God. Um, we'll wrap up for the sake of time. I feel like we've only just scratched the <laughs> surface, um, which was probably bound to happen um, when we've got uh, many years uh, of, of your faith and life to talk about. And so uh, I'm going to finish with one last question for Laurie and give him the chance to have the final word. But I just want to encourage you that you know we are a church of, of lots of little people, and we've heard this morning through a card to Jeff how much they can bless and, and encourage, but we're also a church of more mature people uh, as well and I just want to encourage you to, to spend time with each other to to seek to be encouraged and encourage one another uh, through your your stories of faith and testimonies. Um, you know maybe some of us this morning have thought, oh." all of those stories were in Laurie and over a cup of tea, I just say, how was your week Laurie? Or, you know, how's your cup of tea today? And, and so I really encourage you to to take those opportunities that we do have to spend together to, to seek to, have you got a story for me, Laurie, to encourage my faith? Um, so one final question, Laurie, and, and, um, if our worship, we're going to wrap up with a, a worship song, but I guess in in one sentence, if you had, if this was your last word, um, to, 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 say to a group of, of, of people seeking to follow Jesus, what would that, uh, what would that? Op- what, if you had that opportunity, you might like more than one sentence with that opportunity, but um, what would be your, your last word of encouragement to the church
1: if this was it? Let me give you a very simple rhyme that I learned, and that is only just a little minute, exactly 60 seconds in it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, thrust upon me, can't refuse it, but eternity is in it. Every minute that we have in this life counts for eternity, whether we use it for God or whether we don't. He said, seek, Jesus said, seek first, the first priority, the kingdom of God. Not your family even, so very important that is. But seek for, first a priority, the kingdom of God, the things of God. And, and every minute that we have, do we waste time on unimportant things relatively there's a place for entertainment, of course, all these things, but there's a priority in it all. So these are the thoughts that I would like to leave with you. Only just a little minute, exactly 60 seconds in it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. Thrust upon me, can't, can't refuse it. Only just a little minute, but eternity is in it. Thank you.
0: So we thank you, Father, for Laurie and for his story, and we pray that that um, will be embedded in our hearts, that every minute counts for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.